Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Sturkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. Glad you came out on this cold Sunday morning. I want to say a a special appreciation to our worship team for leading us in worship. If you missed the opportunity, God missed you. He was looking for you to show up. So let's uh, show the Lord a hand clap of praise and also our worship team for leading us this morning. That is some really, really sweet stuff to go before God in worship, and uh, he loves it just like we should love it. And so I'm glad you're here this morning, and uh, I want to put in a plug for an event we're having tonight. It's a community-wide prayer service. We'll have some worship songs and some uh, five seasons of prayer. I want to encourage you, challenge you, invite you personally to come and join us. It's from 6 to 7 o'clock tonight, and you can bring your kids. It's just going to be a a sweet time of prayer and worship, so come join us tonight. It'll It'll be great for us. And and because it aligns itself well with where we are in prayer. And hopefully you're finding your prayer journal uh, helpful, beneficial. Hopefully as you record your prayers, I'm I'm in it with you. And it's an odd spot for me to like journal, not the journaler, okay? But I'm doing this thing and I'm putting prayers in there very specific to God. And often what we do is we throw up kind of an umbrella prayer. God bless me. (laughs) He's already doing that. You breathing, you're blessed. And so sometimes we just need to pinpoint, fine-tune our prayers, because when we do, it's really easy to track God in what he's doing in our life. He answers specifically when we pray, and often beyond what we prayed. But we know that he has answered our prayers, and he's heard our prayers, and so that's why we do it. And so hopefully at the end of the 21 days, uh, which 21 days to heaven's best, uh, tomorrow marks two-thirds completion, so that's cool. And maybe you've established some new habits in your life. Maybe some old habits are being removed and some strongholds are being broken uh, broken down. So that's our plan and our hope. So today we're going to continue looking at the prayer guide that Jesus gave his disciples found in Matthew 6 and also Luke chapter 11. So find your way to Matthew chapter 6 and that's what we're going to be looking at today. What we typically call the Lord's Prayer is actually not the Lord's Prayer at all. When you read it in context, it says that Jesus had just completed his prayer. He just ceased to pray in a certain place. And apparently the disciples are so impressed of Jesus' prayer life, it doesn't look like their own. It's like Jesus is actually talking to God, and he was. And so they're like moved. They sent, I guess, a representative, and it says a disciple went to Jesus and said, Hey, Rabbi, Teach us like how to pray like that. Because what we're doing ain't like that. And so Jesus now doesn't give the Lord's Prayer. He gives a disciple's prayer guide. He tells us how to pray. Now this simple prayer, uh, less than 70 words, has mesmerized and astonished theologians for 2,000 years because in just less than 70 words, he really tells everything needed for you and for me as disciples, as followers of Jesus, to have a vibrant relationship and conversation with Yahweh God. And so that's what we're looking at. Now, last week I made a mistake. Last one, I do it, make a lot of those, but I made one in particular. I ask you to read the prayer off the screen in the back, and I didn't lead it. You're terrible readers. And so I'm going to lead you. It was like we were speaking in tongues, and it's row, row, row your boat. Let's start all over again. So today, on the back of your worship guide, I one up you. I put on the back of your worship guide the disciples' prayer guide that known as the Lord's Prayer. I put it in King James Version because most of us, if we know it, we probably know it predominantly in <clears throat> King James. Now, often it's King James and then we paraphrase parts of it, but we're going to do King James. So I'm going to invite you to read out loud with me the Lord's Prayer, the prayer guide to the disciples from Matthew 6. Are you ready? Are you ready? Read it with me. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
you all sounded great because all I heard was me. Now, I know you read it. I know you went with it. This is really important that, that, we, that we get this prayer. Now, we said it's not for just repeating or a casual you know, recitation just to say it over and over. That's not why it was given. It is a template, a guideline for you and for me to pray. Because prayer is, is vital. Not only is it, is it commanded, not only is it expected by Jesus, it's also required for you and I to have a walk with God that's alive and intimate and um, impactful. It's, prayer is so important that in Ephesians chapter 6, we read about the full armor of God, how we do spiritual warfare, how we fight principalities and powers unseen that are out there. And so we learn about this armor we put on to engage in warfare. But the catalyst, the thing that activates the armor, the thing that empowers us to use the armor, and the thing that empowers those who stand along beside us doing warfare with the common enemy is prayer. It's so cool. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, it says, with, it's, it's talking about once we have our armor on, it says, with every prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And to this end, be alert with all perseverance and petitions for all the saints. And so prayer is important. Tell your neighbor, prayer is really important. It just is. Now, last week, we, we started unpacking this prayer guide that Jesus gave to us. We didn't get very far, and candidly, we ain't getting too far today. Because I've never preached the Disciples' Prayer Guide, and I'm learning a bunch. Now, listen, I, I'm at a cool place in my walk with Jesus, and I, I, I give it to this. The fact that every day I'm journaling my prayers, almost every day, and I'm reading the Bible, and I'm meditating. I'm trying to really dig into Jesus and really get into it and, 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 and for my journey with Jesus to go to another level. And it's happening. I, I feel his presence. I see him answering prayers. He, he gives me these not-so-subtle reminders that he's God, and he's amazing. I'll share one with you this morning. Now, I drive every Sunday, every day many times, I drive over here and I come down Central Avenue, turn left at uh, Callahan where the stoplight, where the traffic light is at Weigel's. I've been doing it for seven years. Oh, I've been doing it we, we, four years. I've lived over there, so I've lived it four years. So I pulled up traffic light this morning. I don't know if you know how fast the sun moves when it's coming up. It's, it happens. I'm sitting at the traffic light, pulled up, it's dark. Now, this traffic light seems like an eternal traffic light sometimes. That's fair. But it's not. And the sun started coming up, and it just peeked over the, the ridge. And before the light turned green, God just shined his sun in my face. And it was like he was screaming to me, I'm right here. I, got, I do this every day. I'm faithful. I'm committed to provision for you. I, I, I'm doing things all around you every day. And if you're not careful, you will miss the opportunity to experience me in your world. And, and so I want you to know God is that kind of God for you. So last week we began the prayer guide for disciples. And it began just like we just read. Our Father which art in heaven. We talked about the family of God. The beauty of the prayers, the way Jesus launched this thing, is he, he said for us to pray and address God as our Father. Jesus was including himself with you, with me, with all brothers and sisters in Christ as children of God adopted into his forever family. And when we receive Jesus in our life, when we have a spiritual rebirth, when we're born again or saved, the Holy Spirit comes into our life and seals us, and we are instantaneously adopted into God's forever family. That's just kind of cool. And when we're adopted into his family, now not only do, do we have Jesus as our Lord, our Savior, and our brother, we have his Father is now our Father. And so we have a new heavenly father. We talked about it last week. We've, been, we've moved our, uh, our, changed our father from the devil to God himself. Because before we have God as our father in Jesus, we are children of the devil. 
Now, the second thing that we noticed last week is that uh, when, when we're now in the family, it's not just God the Father, which is amazing, and Jesus the Son is our brother, which is amazing, our Father. We're in this thing together. It's why our church family is so important. It's because we're in, you and I as believers are my brothers and sisters in Christ forever. Now, we've all experienced brokenness in the family. Maybe somebody died. Maybe a a relationship is broken or terminated, and it's terrible. It hurts. It's awful. It's miserable. Listen, that's the beauty of our Father, which art in heaven, God's family. It is an eternal family. It is a forever unbroken family. We're in this thing together forever. I shared I, this week, we were talking, I was talking with church about somebody, and somebody said, well, I'm just not, the church is growing a lot, and I really don't want to be a part of a big church. <laughs> You're going to be in trouble in heaven. Heaven's a big church. I'm just saying. It's going to be big. You better get used to it. And we're going to be with each other forever. Now, sometimes people, right now, somebody just thought, I'm going to be with this guy forever. If, the, if he's saved, yeah. If you're saved, <laughs> yeah. But not his husband and wife. This family is a family without the hiccups. This is the family without the hard stuff, without the sin nature, not being under attack as a family attacked by the enemy. It's a different family. It's a forever family. It is the family of God. And that's the way Jesus wants us to pray because we're in the family. We're praying to our Heavenly Father. The second thing we saw, which I think is powerfully important in the culture and the day we live in, is the holiness of God. It says, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed, we talked about, means is sacred, set apart, consecrated, high and lifted up, different than all others. But Jesus is saying, when, when you pray to your Father, I want you to be mindful of who you're praying to. You're praying to Yahweh the one true and living God, the God whose name is above all names, the God who whispered into ex nihilo out of nothing and everything emerged. You're talking to this kind of God. And and, and this kind of God, his name should be hallowed. His name should be set apart. It should not be reduced to a, a partner word with an expletive. It should not be reduced to initials on a, a, a text message or a, a, a social media post. His name is God. His name should be set apart, only used when lifting him up, testifying about his greatness, or speaking to him as our father. And so often we forget that. And we talked about that when you say God's name, God's ears should should turn and tilt because the word says, the Bible says that when we pray, God's ears are tilted and attentive to the righteous, those in Jesus. And so when we say his name, it should be because we need to speak with God and we're expecting him to hear. So based on the family of God, the holiness of God. And now we're going to unpack a couple of more things, which, just to be honest, is very difficult for me. I labored over this thing, Kendra. I just could not begin to even wrap my mind around the two things that we're going to unpack a little bit today. It, the, it's verse 10. That's it. And it is this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Jesus now says uh, you, you, when you get the family right and you get the holiness right, and now I'm going to give you a litmus test or a filtration system to uh, temper your prayers, to make sure that your prayers are in accordance with what God desires for your life. Because now we understand he's your father, and a father only what, wants what's best for his children. Always, without exception, God is your father, always wants what's best for your life. When he answers the prayer, no, it's because he knows that's not best for your life. When he answers your prayer, yes, it's because he agrees that's best for your life. When he answers your your prayers, wait, it means you're not ready for what's best in your life. He always wants what's best. And so these two points, the kingdom, thy kingdom come and thy will be done, are really important that we get this. So let's talk about thy kingdom. Uh, the kingdom of God, thy kingdom come. The phrase in the guide is, is given to remind us that prayer is not a tool for us to raise our personal kingdom to God. Pray is an instrument of inviting God's kingdom down to us. 
I want to say that again because it's really vitally important. Prayer is not a tool for us to raise our little kingdom up to God. Prayer is an instrument to invite God's amazing kingdom down to us. It's an invitation, God. I want your kingdom in my life. God, now listen, when we say thy kingdom come, when we pray that God's kingdom be real in our life, there's there's a condition to that. And that is, if, if we're saying, God, I want your kingdom to come, we're saying, God, I need my kingdom to go. You see, God's kingdom can't come where there already exists a kingdom. God's kingdom comes when we set our kingdom aside. Now, Jesus knew this was something, uh, a battle for us. Jesus knew that our human nature is for us to have our own kingdom and to develop this little thing, you know. What can I achieve? What can I accomplish? What are my accolades? What are my material possessions? Uh, what, what kind of a circle or following do I have? How many likes do I have? Silliness. <laughs> you know that's true. Your likes are part of your personal kingdom. You post, somebody posts something on there, it's just ridiculous, and they get 150 likes. And you put something on there, I mean, it's good. Because it's in your business. And you get like two likes. And you're like, what, did Corona kill all my friends? Why ain't nobody liking my business, Right? Yeah, and your kingdom just took a blow, right? Because we all have a personal kingdom. And Jesus knew it. And Jesus is saying, thy kingdom come, my kingdom has to go. And uh, the reason this is important is because God knows your little kingdom. Do you know that? God knows all about your little kingdom. Scripture says that he knows the very hairs on your head. That's kind of, that's, that's pretty detailed. Because I, I, I raised two daughters and, uh, and I, I have a wife. And the whole time they were growing up, I would get in the shower and there would be like a hairball laying in the drain. It ain't coming from my head. This is long, blondish hair. It, it's, it's not coming from here. They're shedding every day. Shedding. And meanwhile, God is like 48, just landed in the drain. Take that off Kelsey's account. 68 just fell. That, take that off, Kent. He knows. He knows that stuff. He knows your needs before you express your needs about your personal kingdom. Scripture tells us in Matthew 6, verse 8, your father knows the things you have need of before you even ask them. Is that amazing? We're going to get to the greatness of God. We're going to talk about that more. He is that kind of God. He is a God that's beyond anything we can comprehend. Your father already knows what you need. need. So prayer then can be a little confusing at this point because if he already knows our need for crying out loud, why, why is it so important that we pray? Have you ever thought that? If God is like sovereign, meaning overall, if God is like omnipotent, all powerful, and if God is omniscient, all knowing, And if God is omnipresent all places at all times, then why do I need to pray? He's like doing what he wants to do. How can somebody like me even entertain the idea of asking someone like that for anything in my personal kingdom? It's because we don't pray to inform God about our kingdom, we pray to surrender, surrender our kingdom to his greater kingdom, to his outside of this world kingdom. When God showed up in the garden of failure in Genesis 3, it's an interesting thing that you probably have thought about before. When he shows up, it says in verse 8 of chapter 3, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, here it is, where are you? Now, God was not asking to be informed about his location. God was asking to be included in his location. God was was not asking for a revelation about their sin. God was looking for a confession about their sin. You see, that's what God does. And that's what that outside kingdom of God looks like. He wants to come in the middle of where you are in your location. 
He wants to be included in that. He just wants you to be honest and open with him. Why? Because he already knows you and he knows everything about you. He knit you together while yet in your mother's womb. He formed you, fashioned you, purposed you, and planned you. There are no mistakes with God. I want everybody in here to hear me right now. God designed you in particular and special with a purpose and a plan that's bigger than you know and bigger than you really can conjure up in your mind. That is what our heavenly father has done. He's placed it within you. And all he's waiting for is for you to let your kingdom go, invite his kingdom to come so he can uh, germinate that thing that he's placed in you and use it for his glory. That's really cool stuff. And that is truly what God desires to do. Now, when we say thy kingdom come, my kingdom go, we're submitting ourselves to the rule, the reign, the authority, the power, the benefits, the dominion, and the rewards of a good, good father, God in heaven. And so Jesus knew that the greatest experience that you can have of this life is when your life includes the kingdom of God in it. When you surrender your life to his life, when you give your expectations for life to his expectations for your life. Now, kingdom is made up of two basic rules, king and then dom, which dominion. It's, it's the ruler of a dominion. When we pray, we're saying, God, I want you to be the ruler of this dominion. I want you to be large and in charge in my life. Now, how does that happen where a God so big, so vast, so powerful could experience, could, could give a, a representation of that in something so fragile as our human existence? It's through Jesus, his son. You see, Jesus is the king and the ambassador of the kingdom of God who came to earth. And when he came to earth, he told everybody listening in Matthew 4, 17, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Matthew and Mark 1, 14, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. In Matthew 12, 28, he says, the kingdom of God has come upon you. When Jesus was here, he was a demonstration of the kingdom of God on this earth. And so if you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like, you look at Jesus. You read the Gospels. You listen to what he said. You look at his life. And that's what the kingdom of heaven looks like when it's manifested in our human condition. Now, we, we, we can pray now that thy kingdom come. We can pray that the kingdom of God will be real and full and alive in our life when Jesus and only when Jesus is the Lord and Savior of our life. Now, Jesus knew that this would be a struggle because we want to take credit for what happens. Confession from the preacher. This week, I came in here and I was just praying for you, for the chairs that are empty and that are occupied. I was praying for this spot on this hill. This, I had a deep sense of gratitude that just kind of overcame me because confession of a preacher and maybe I'm the only preacher on the planet but this is what it feels like on a cold Sunday morning when there's more empty seats than there are full seats and you got the Rona out there you got you, it's easy to write it off and say you got the Corona everybody's sick that's why everybody's not here or maybe it's on a sunny spring morning and there's not that much Corona and there's more empty seats than there are full seats this preacher kind of takes it as a punch to the gut, right? It's like, you're terrible. You're not doing a good job. You're not communicating well. You're not, leading. you're not leading well. You're not feeding well. And therefore, they don't come. You have to take responsibility for that. It's very natural for me, okay? And so sometimes I forget to have a heart of gratitude to the kingdom of God. And I begin to take credit for what God is at work doing. So I have a confession, if there's more empty seats than full seats, and if I've done my job praying so I can be an effective leader and feeder of sheep, and there's more empty seats than full seats, I, I don't have to take it to the gut anymore. God has chosen for there to be more empty seats than full seats. But the flip side, the inverse is true as well. When we're almost full and there's few vacant seats, I can't take credit for that either. 
I'm not doing better at feeding. I'm not doing better at leading. I'm simply doing what God's called me to do. And God has chosen to send more people on that day. So I had, a, I had a little come to Jesus meeting, and I just repented of that. I said, God, I'm sorry. You know, I am thankful, so thankful that you let me pastor here at the church at Sturkey Hills on this hill. I'm so thankful that most of the people that will be in here on Sunday morning weren't here seven years ago. You're sending a lot of new people. It's what you chose to do. And I don't know why you chose me, but thank you for doing so. When we get the fact that our little personal kingdom is really non-existent before the kingdom of God. It's easy to say, thy kingdom come, my kingdom go. You see, on my arm this morning, I have a watch. And, and this, it's, it has cool design. It's, it's a good-looking watch, right? It's a good-looking watch. And it keeps pretty good time. And um, the watch can never take credit for how good a time it keeps or how stylish it is on the preacher's arm. It can never rise up and take credit because the credit is due the watchmaker. You may have read a book this week. I'm in the process of reading a couple of books. and that, but The books are great books, but the book can never rise up and say, what a beautiful story I've given in this book and how well laid out I am as a book and how beautiful and engaging the cover is on the front of this book. The book can never take credit for that. The credit is given to the author of that book. It's the same in your life, and it's the same in my life. So often we want to rise up, and we want to take credit for our little kingdom life. And meanwhile, were it not for a greater kingdom giving us life, we would have nothing, and we would be nothing. In fact, we would be non-existent. And so kind of wrapping our minds as best we can that there is an outside kingdom bigger and greater than anything that we can imagine. The kingdom of God is always at play in your life. I want you to know that. The kingdom of God is always at play in and around your life. Everywhere we look, it reveals a greater existence. Everything we see points to a greater power. Everything we know testifies to a kingdom far superior than this world. We know God's fingerprints, the kingdom, thy kingdom of God is everywhere. His fingerprints are everywhere for us to experience and evaluate and, and handle. It's tangible. The greatness of God. Science never Proves the absence of God, regardless of what your schools, high school, and universities may say. Science always proves the presence of God. The most brilliant minds in the world will confess when honest that mathematics, the school of mathematics and the school of statistics, does not allow us to exist. Mathematics and statistics proves that there must be something outside of us, a, a kingdom outside this kingdom we know, our world kingdom, that's bigger than us and greater than, the, than, than us. And that's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray to your Father in heaven. Pray that his name will be hallowed and lifted up in your life and pray that his kingdom will come and that your kingdom will go. Now, the kingdom of God has made... Uh, made some commanding statements, just, just in the brilliance and the magnitude of what he's created. But scripture also, also references that and how we deal with it. He knows us. He knows how we do things. In, in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. Because what can be known about God is plain to them. What can be known about this kingdom outside of ours? It can be known to them because God has made it plain to them. God has made it plain to me. God has made it plain to you. He goes on and he says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen. Because they are understood through what has been made. So people are without excuse. Verse 21 says, For although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give him thanks. But they became futile in their thoughts and their senseless hearts were darkened. 
Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for an image resembling mortal human beings or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the desires of their hearts to impurity, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Now, What that's saying is this, if you have trouble believing in the kingdom of God, in a kingdom outside the realm of our everyday experience, it's because you bought the lie. And maybe you bought the lie so much that God has given you over to that reprobate mind. And so your first call of duty is to go before God, ask him if he's your father. If he's not, allow him to be through Jesus and begin to surrender this foolish kingdom ideology and surrender it to a greater kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so when we pray like that, we're inviting the sovereign ruler of all of existence to join us in our lives, to provide all of our needs and to help us establish good and godly kingdom goals for our life. Now, the second consideration about this phrase then is if, 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 the, if we're supposed to pray, thy kingdom come, how does something like that connect to something like this, <laughs> right? How does something so great land in experience in something so f- fragile so broken, so confused, and disobedient sometimes. It's through Jesus, God's firstborn son. You see, when Jesus was here, I shared that with you. He said the kingdom of God is there. It's with you. So when we're praying, thy kingdom come, we're saying your kingdom come, my kingdom go. We're acknowledging there's a greater kingdom at play out there that wants to be actively involved and engaged in every heartbeat of our lives. But we're also saying, I want Jesus to come back again. You see, Jesus, when he left, he said he's coming back again. You know what that means? Jesus is coming back again. Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and life. He, can't, life, he cannot lie. Jesus is coming back. Now, the last prayer in the final verses of the last book in God's Word, Revelation chapter 22, we find a a different level of prayer for thy kingdom come. It says, the one who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Here's the prayer from John the Revelator. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The final verse of all the Bible, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. We're to pray that thy kingdom come. We're to pray that Jesus comes back soon. Now, I know I share this all the time. Sometimes when we don't have the right mindset about the kingdom of God, we fall in love with our little kingdom world. And and, and as an example, there may be a 22-year-old college graduate. I'll give you an example. I shared it in the early service. I might as well share it in a second. Okay? Uh, Christy de Cardenas, Oscar's younger daughter. She just graduated from UT. And she took a job at Macy's. She majored in retail. <laughs> I mean, you know, if, if you're going to be in retail, Macy's, you know what I'm saying? She, she got the bigs. So she's moving to Brooklyn. That's what you have to do, move to Brooklyn. Now, here she is. is about a 22-year-old. She, she's not married yet. She just graduated, put in the time. She graduated from college. She's moving to Brooklyn to work at Macy's. And when the preacher says, we ought to pray that Jesus come back soon, that's hard for her. I mean, she's, she's thinking, I know she is. I asked her right in their early service. She's thinking, man, I just put in the time. I, I would at least like to experience a little bit of Macy's, you know. I'd like a little bit of time for bragging rights that I'm at Macy's. I I might even have an opportunity, God, that you would send a significant other in my life and I could experience marriage. And maybe I I, kind of like that. It may be one day of having children of my own. There's like these uh, unfulfilled goals or dreams in our life. Now, if you're 85 years old and you just came through pneumonia and Rona and you're spouse has already gone to heaven they're like I'm praying that every day 
multiple times, Jesus, come back. You'd be like my grandmother in her 80s. Lost, she was a school teacher, lost her vision. And, and, and she would ask me, Joel, will you pray that the Lord will take me home today? And I was like, no. <laughs> you can pray that. I ain't praying that. It's morbid. I'm not doing that. Okay? It's, it's things change. I want you to know if you're 85 or if you're 5, your desire should be to pray, Jesus, bring it back. Bring on the kingdom. Bring the full fruition of your Father's kingdom in my world. Land it right here. Take me home. Bring me back. Rule and reign. Recreate the whole thing. I'm in. No matter where you are in your life, we should be praying, thy kingdom come. Now, as hard as thy kingdom come is, now we get to the next line, thy will be done. This one is terribly difficult. This one's hard. And yet Jesus said, pray thy kingdom come. Pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as people who've placed our faith in the finished work of Jesus for salvation, we have Jesus as our Lord and our Savior and our brother. We have God as our heavenly father, we have all of the other believers as our brothers and sisters forever in Christ. Now, we are to invite the will of God to be completed in our life, to be manifested in our life. We're asking God, my kingdom's gone, your kingdom's here my will needs to be gone. Your will needs to show up. Because most of our prayers are not thy will be done, but my will be done. Most of our prayers are for ourselves or the things that we want most in our life or the things I, 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 I'm most concerned about. Should I marry this person? Should I, what should I pursue as a career? Should I take this job or that job? Should we have another child? Should I move away for a job? Should I buy this car? Should I buy this home? Should I join this church? Should I send my child to private school? Should I, should I, should I? What is your will for my life? Right? We ask that a lot. We, the most common question is, God, what do you want from my life? Well, and they're great questions. Quite honestly, all of our decisions in life should be taken before God like that. Father, what do you want me to do here? What's your will for my life? That should be our prayer for every decision we make. Now, now to get this, it gets, it's, it, it, this gets a little weird. Because what is the will of God? What is the will of God? Now, we'll talk about it more next week. But it's terribly difficult to wrap our minds around the will of God because we're talking about the sovereign God. We're talking about an all-powerful, omnipotent God, an all-knowing, omniscient God, an all-present, omnipresent God. Isn't he doing what he wants to do anyway? Isn't he like large and in charge of everything? Isn't it true that nothing happens that doesn't go through his sovereign filtration system and he allows it? So isn't he doing what he wants to do anyway? If so, then why do I need to pray? Because either he's in charge of everything, doing what he wants to do, and I don't really need to pray, or he's not in charge of everything, and things are happening just because they happen, and that means God's not in control after all, so why should I pray? That's a good, that's something to wrestle down and try to drive a stake in. Good luck. Good luck. He's over everything. Nowhere he's not. Nothing he can't do. Nothing he does not know. Nothing he, that can overtake or overpower him. And those are amazing attributes of God that are true and real. But where does that leave us? Where does that leave us in our prayer life? I have a confession the sovereignty of God outside of the gray matter that God placed in this head. Way out there. Now, I have some friends that have wrestled it down. Oh, they've got sovereignty figured out. They've got this separation of the free will of man and the sovereignty of God. They got it all neatly boxed up, right? 
There's where the problem comes in. There's tension, a holy tension between a sovereign God who's large and in charge and the free will of us getting to make decisions that impact our life. I cannot fathom that. I can't even begin to scratch the surface of how that plays out together. All I know is at the end of the day, Jesus told his disciples, pray like this, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're supposed to pray to him that his will will be known to us and we will be in alignment with his will. To, to know though, eternity past and eternity future as if it's in the moment, in the now, I can't get that. To, for someone to have designed the complexities of the universe and the details of molecular structure that holds everything together, I can't understand that. To speak into ex nihilo out of nothing and everything emerge, I can't understand that. But when that God, that kingdom, wraps himself in humanity, shows up on this planet to live a perfect life, to die a perfect sacrificial death, to rise again on the third day for the sins of your preacher. I can wrap my arms around that because he wraps his arms around me. All of a sudden, the vastness of who God is just showed up in my fragile, broken world. And the sovereignty, the power of God showed up personally for me. That's the beauty of God, that he's on both ends of the spectrum. The vastness of the galaxy, the atomic structure, and right where I live. So what about the sovereignty? Are you supposed to get that? Maybe you are. Isaiah was not, and I'm not. Isaiah 55, 8 says, Indeed, my plans are not like your plans, and my deeds are not like your deeds, says the Lord. For just as the sky is higher than the earth... So my deeds are superior to your deeds. And my plans are superior to your plans. I want you to know today that it's okay not to understand the sovereignty of God, how it aligns with your free will to make choices in everyday life. And I want you to know that everything that happens in this life is not the sovereign will of God as a choice but it's his sovereign, permissive will to allow things to happen in this world. Why? Because even in his permissive will for, to allow bad things to happen, his sovereign will over that is to come into that brokenness and to redeem it and to fix it and to breathe beauty out of ashes. What situation am, am I talking about? Uh, maybe a church leader who has moral failure. God's permissive will. Maybe an innocent baby aborted in what should be the safest place on the planet. God's permissive will. Maybe a little girl or a little boy sold into sexual traffic, trafficking around the world. God's permissive will. Maybe a lady who's raped or an, the abuse of a senior adult in a nursing home. Or maybe a home pillaged and robbed by a drug addict. Permissive will of God. While God allows a permissive will for things to happen in the part, he never relinquishes his sovereign will over the whole in other words, God allows things to happen in this world that are terrible. You've experienced them. I've experienced them. And meanwhile, he never surrenders his sovereignty over the bigger picture. He's always making it into something else. 
So we'll never fully understand. Moses told Israel in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do the words of the law. And so I finish today with this. Is our desire for God's will to know God's will so we'll know him better as a father? Is our desire to know his will in our life so we will experience more of his kingdom coming into our life? Is our desire to know the will of God so we'll be more obedient to the will of God? Or is our desire to know the will of God simply so we'll have another option to consider? Often, that's what we're looking for. God, what's your will? I'll put it alongside the multiple choice list I've gathered, and then I will make my decision. For us to experience God as Father, for us to, to, to begin to hallow His name, for us to allow His kingdom to come into our life, for us to experience the will for life, it begins with two foundational primary questions, and we find them in the life of Saul, who would be the persecutor of the church. His name would be changed to Paul, and he would be the promoter of the church. He got this. Scripture talks about it. He had just heard an, an amazing, beautiful message preached by Stephen while he stood and held the, the coats of those who stoned Stephen to death as Stephen looked up and saw the glory of God and the kingdom of God. So he had experienced something like that, but he still has letters in his hands to go persecute the church. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 3, it says, as this Saul that I just described journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, and then he fell to the ground. And then Saul heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said to him, who are you, Lord? There's the first question. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So Saul, trembling and astonished, he said, question number two, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Are you ready? Every person in here. Every person in here. Those are the two primary fundamental questions every person must ask to experience God in your life. The first one, who are you, Lord? The second one, what do you want me to do? That's salvation, that's lordship. You see, a lot of people ask the question, who are you, Lord? We have a mental awareness of who Jesus is as God's son, and he came to this earth, and he was born of a virgin, and he was in a manger, and he lived this miraculous life, and he was hung on a cross. We have the information. We know who the Lord is. But everything changes. When what do you want me to do? I venture to say there's people in here today who is who have made Jesus the Lord of your life. You've received his grace gift into your life. But you're not doing what he wants you to do. He's not your Lord. And so today, I want you just to ask God, God, do I really know who you are? And are you really my Savior? And is your Father really my Father? And am I really part of this bigger thing called the church because I'm born again? And God, if so, what is it you want from me? Tell me, reveal it to me, so I can be found obedient. So I can experience what it really means for you to be my father here. So I can really experience what it means to live a life that separates you from all others. That I'll experience your kingdom here. And that I'll know your will for my life and I'll walk in it. Because that is where the good stuff hangs out. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And maybe you're here today. You've been to church many times. But you've never received Jesus into your life. In this very moment, there's nothing else that matters but this. And maybe today 
you know, you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, not from the words of the preacher, but the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God inviting you into his presence and into his family. What you need to do is to simply say, God, I confess I am a sinner and I cannot fix me. I want Jesus, your perfect son, and his gift upon a cross to be my gift. I want Jesus to come into my life and save me. Adopt me into your forever family. And Lord, I want to know what you want from me next so I can be obedient to it. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for choosing to love somebody as unlovable as me. Thank you for adopting me into your family in Jesus' name. And for many of the rest of us, we've done that. We just need to take the second part of that and recommit ourselves to it. Father, thank you for saving me. I've, I've forgotten the great gift of salvation. I've put it on a shelf. Help me live my life so that your kingdom will come into it every day and that your will will be revealed and I will be obedient to your will in my life. Help me find the place in your local church where I can engage, maybe by inviting those in my neighborhood to come and be a part of what you're doing here in this place. Maybe witnessing to my friends who don't know you. Maybe serving in different areas in the local church. Help me find my place, which is your will for my life, that I might be found obedient. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.